Greetings, Sci-Fi Universe. Owen Cotter here. Join me, your host, as we discuss all things geek chic and out of this world on Sci-Fiction Radio, your galactic transmission portal to all things science fiction and beyond. In this show, I'll be talking with feature film visual effects artist Billy Brooks. Hold on while Billy joins us here shortly. Billy, you there, man? Yes, I am. Hey, Owen. How you doing, man? Welcome to the show. How's it going with you today? Uh, great, great. And yourself? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Well, let's let's get started here. Oh, thanks, man. For the listeners, can you introduce yourself and tell everyone about your line of work and so forth? Sure. Uh, uh, my name is Billy Brooks, and uh, I've been doing visual effects for feature films for about 20 years now. Um, started at Industrial Light and Magic in uh, 1996 and um, worked there for seven years and then came to Los Angeles for, um, I think, seven years. Went back to ILM for a little bit, uh, back and forth, back and forth, and kind of worked everywhere. Uh, DreamWorks, Sony. Um, uh, I did five years at Electronic Arts doing video games, so I took a break from film for a little bit. Um, and uh, I just wrapped up... Uh, my first uh, visual effects supervisor role on uh, a movie called Space Station 76, which is um, uh, <laughs> quite a unique project. Uh, it's uh, kind of like Space 1999 meets the office meets the ice storm. Um, and we're going to be, uh, I think we're coming out in September or, um, yeah, I think it's September. Yeah, so you have to be sure to check that out. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about that film, by the way. Um just curious, like, what is that film about and everything? Like, can you tell us a little about that and, like, the things you created for that? Sure. Uh, it's um, It takes place in the future on a space station as envisioned uh, from 1976. So, hmm. uh, aesthetically, it is kind of like a love letter to all the 70s sci-fi that we, um, you know, well, at least I grew up with and was influenced by very heavily, like Space 1999, Logan's Run, Silent Running, uh, even shows like Space Academy and um, Jason Star Command, Buck Rogers, mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica, uh, and we even have a cameo by Kier DeLay, who was Dave Bowman in 2001. So, oh, wow. that was cool. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's it's this is one of those things where the science fiction just is sort of a really neat wrapping paper on a story about people. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's a very heavy, uh, character thing. It's very funny, very dark sometimes. And, uh, it's just a great, really good blend of comedy, drama, and, uh, uh, aesthetic of the seventies, the retro future stuff that, that, you know, I personally really dig. Yeah. I love that 70s stuff too, man. I mean, I'm a big Battlestar fan. Uh, There's mention of Buck Rogers as well. Just curious, I know you worked also on Mission to Mars and Space Station 76, which also starred Jerry O'Connell. Just curious, by the way, many fans remember him from his uh, role in Sliders, which is also a cool sci-fi show. First question, yeah. did you get to interact much with Jerry? And if so, how was he? And as a follow-up, what brings, excuse me, what things were you uh, responsible for creating in the film Mission to Mars? Curious. Uh, so um, I did interact with Jerry, and he's the nicest guy. Uh, in the world, <laughs> I, I I was, it was cool. Me and my um uh, my assistant were at the uh, the uh, the craft services getting our breakfast burrito uh, the morning that he was on set, and he came right up to us and introduced himself. 
you know? Oh, wow. And uh, I love that when it's like, hey, we're all professionals and we're all doing our jobs. I'm not in a different class than you are, and we're all on the same team. And that's the kind of vibe that was on the set all the time. So Jerry was amazing. He was funny uh, and uh, charming and just the nicest guy. Um, and uh, at one point, we were doing ADR, you know, about six months after we wrapped, and uh, I just happened to be the first one in the sound stage or the sound booth uh, recording area. And I was just, I was actually working visual effects on my laptop. <laughs> And he walked in, and oh, it was just he and I. So we were just uh, shooting, the, um, you know, just uh, talking a little bit. And, uh, uh, you know, he's just like a regular guy, super nice. And uh, he, in the movie, everybody brings their A-game in this movie, which is the, the coolest thing for me, is uh, that Jerry uh, is funny, but also he's got some dramatic stuff going on, too. And it's just he has really great moments of uh, just... Uh, he says a lot of stuff with just, uh, you know, uh, wordless expressions, you know, and mm-hmm. just a great guy. And as far as yeah, what I did seemed... on... Go ahead. Okay. I was just yeah, saying, he well, seems like uh, a cool guy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and uh, so on Mission to Mars, I was uh, at Industrial Light Magic, and we were... Um, I think the stuff I worked on is... Uh, it was called the Losing Woody uh, sequence, where... Um, I can't even remember too much about it, but I think it was like a capsule that they had to let go, and it drifted off mm-hmm. into space. Um, and uh, I was in a small group of generalists at ILM uh, that were working on that sequence. Yeah, I think that's when the guy, uh, they had a, like, he took off a space helmet, but it was the tether, and they couldn't get him, and he, like, I guess he, like, suffocated in space. But I think that's when they were trying to get onto that little platform after their ship got, the hole got breached, if I remember right. Um, right. You, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I remember it's been a while since. That's a great film. That film was a really great film. And, uh, it's just and Jerry was cool in that as well. Uh, yeah. You worked on many well-known science fiction films, uh, the tons. But uh, you, you mentioned working with Industrial Light and Magic on the Star Wars movies for Lucasfilm. Curious, what yeah. things might the fans recognize for you, for those films that you're responsible for in the Star Wars universe? Well. Um... Uh, I got to realize a childhood dream uh, on on episode two, and where I was responsible for all of the digital R2D2 stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I was the guy who made him walk upstairs, and he's never done that before. Um, I designed the rocket mechanisms that come out of his legs, and uh, all the stuff when he was flying around. That was me. I designed. Uh, that's one of the rare opportunities because usually. In a company like ILM, they've got supremely talented people in the art department that design this, that, and the other. Um, but for this specific situation with R2-D2 flying, um, mm-hmm. everybody was busy, so they allowed me to design um, the rockets. So um, I designed uh, how they fold up into the legs. And actually, I think initially those rockets were supposed to come out of the chest, and Doug Chang was a really awesome guy. He's the uh, uh, production designer. Uh, for the the prequels, um, he uh, he was supposed to um, be flying in Episode One. Actually, when he fell off one of the platforms and was supposed to fly uh, around, and he had these rockets that would come right out of his chest. And I thought, well, I'm not sure how he would actually maneuver if they were sticking out of the chest. So I put him on the legs instead, and that way he could move his legs, you know, tilt them backwards and forwards to have some kind of uh, means of 
you know, directing the thrust. So that was me, and uh, those are actually named uh, Brooks Propulsion Units in, in the, like, uh, the encyclopedia and stuff. So, you know, as a nerd, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, wow. So uh, the, uh, the other thing that was cool in episode two um, is I got to interact with George himself, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a situation where Arch-D2 was uh, sort of walking up the stairs behind Padme and Anakin as they're walking over a bridge, um, uh, I think it was shot in Italy, but uh, it was uh, initially R2 was supposed to fly over the bridge, but I think they wanted to save that gag for the end of the movie um, to make it more you know dramatic, and uh, uh, rightfully so. So he had to walk upstairs. He'd never done that before. So I took two days where I had my six-inch toy of R2-D2 and was playing with it for two days trying to figure out how in the world is this guy going to walk upstairs? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I did the test of, uh, where I had him sort of <clears throat> scoot up to the the, the 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 next step and sort of lean, on, you know, with his middle leg and try to boost himself over. And I called that the Kenny Baker shuffle because that's what you know Kenny Baker would do in the in the costume when <laughs> he would he would rock it back and forth. Okay, so I go to review with George, and uh, I think the animation supervisor was unsure uh, about how I was doing. I said, well, you know, I wanted to put the Kenny Baker shuffle in there, you know. And then George actually said, I like the Kenny Baker shuffle. And that was a moment frozen in time for me forever because, you know, I got George to say something that I had coined, you know. That's pretty cool. Um, wow. But, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing in the Star Wars universe. Uh, the uh, the other cool thing is that I was in a department um, called the Rebel Unit, which is, uh, a group of artists that have multiple skill sets <clears throat> instead of, you know, doing, like, I'm an animator or I do texturing or I create the models. Uh, this department had people that did all that stuff. So it was a team of, like, ten people, and we had a bit of, big open room, but on the other side of the wall that we shared was the model shop. And oh, a lot wow. of times we, we would be able to go in there, and on a Saturday... There's the 12-foot starter story that they're, you know, refurbishing and take to the Smithsonian. I know one time I walked in there, and there was uh, the interrogation droid from uh, Return of the Jedi when uh, he's uh, talking to R2-D2 in the dungeon, and he said, you are a feisty one, that guy. He was uh, (laughs) standing in there being refurbished, and I'm like, oh, my God, is this really happening? I'm standing in front of this guy. Um, the Rebel Blockade Runner was there one time, and they were doing some refurbishing on that. And, uh, yeah, so being that close to the model shop was crazy cool. Wow. So you get to see all the, like, the models. I heard, have you ever been to, I guess you've been to Skywalker Ranch, so I know they have a lot of uh, models and stuff hanging on the wall, supposedly, like actual lightsaber from Empire Strikes Back and stuff like that. It's so mm-hmm. cool. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I've uh, so, definitely been to Skywalker Ranch several times, and, you know, um, mm-hmm. Definitely saw those things. What is it like at Skywalker? I heard that's so big they've got their own fire department. I mean, how? What is that place like inside? Is it kind of casual, like an Apple computer place, where everybody's kind of laid back? Or what, what is it like inside? Well, the ranch. Um, I, I'll give you two perspectives. Uh, the mm-hmm. first perspective is when I was an employee, when I was working at ILM. Um, you could make a lunch reservation and go have lunch at the ranch because ILM was a separate facility. It was like 40 minutes away, so you would go there. And 
um, they'd have your name on the list, and you drive up there and park and go to the main house, the big white house that you've seen in the photographs. And um, right. it's awesome. It's 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 cool, and you know it's quiet, and people are always super nice, and they have a fantastic restaurant in the main house. I think on CNN one time I said, or I saw an article that said something like, uh, "This is the nicest restaurant you can't go to." Because it's on the ranch in a private, you know, facility. But that's where, you know, George would go to eat, and the people working at, at, at on the ranch would go there, and like directors and people that would visit. That's sort of like the upscale uh, dining room, and it's uh, it's amazing. Um, so it's just it's quiet, it's beautiful. They had big rocking chairs on the porch that you can just sit down and just sort of take it in, and all the property around. Uh, the main house is George, you know, he owns that, and it's just, uh, it's gorgeous. Um, so that was an employee. When I left ILM and uh, uh, I was doing my own thing here in L.A., and we worked on a space station, we actually went to do our sound at Skywalker Sound. So we actually, um, I came back to the ranch as a client, and that was a whole different experience <clears throat> where... Uh, they have these cool bungalows that uh, that people there are doing their sound design at Skywalker Sound. You can go and stay on property. And it's like the nicest of the nicest hotels you've ever seen. Like it was spotless. Each of these bungalows had themes. And we stayed in one called the Dorothy Parker. So it was themed out, um, you know, with, with books and uh, little mementos that, that you know, uh, were representative of Dorothy Parker and her work, um, but it's great. Uh, it, it's it, the the ranch was made as a filmmaker's retreat, and that's I think what George had in mind. He wanted filmmakers to come and be able to be inspired and just uh, recharge your creative batteries. And I will tell you this: it worked because <laughs> we spent a week there, and the director and I one time it was like. Uh, 8 p.m. and it was in the summer and it was still light outside and most of the people had left. It was just um, Jack and I, uh, the director, uh, riding bikes around the ranch and it was gorgeous and it was just so amazingly quiet and beautiful and you know we were just kind of doing our thing and riding the bikes around and the only people there were the people supporting like uh, the fire department was there and they do have their own fire department. They grow their own vegetables there. They have chefs there, um, and uh, it's just, it's amazing. It's its one of those places that uh, it, you come back completely refreshed. Because I live in Los Angeles, and it's very noisy here, and to get away to somewhere that's quiet and just sort of uh, inspiring like that is just such a treat, and I will never forget that week in Skywalker Ranch, which is one of those amazing experiences. So. Wow. So it's literally a retreat where they even grow their own vegetables there. Geez, I didn't even know that. My God. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it was cool because they had, um, they would have pre-prepared meals that you could pick up um, at these bungalows. Um, and you would just throw them in the microwave when you get back to your, your bungalow. And I was like, oh, it's be like Lean Cuisine. Okay, that's cool. But no, they were actually made by chefs there on property with the you know fresh vegetables from the ranch, and the most amazing pre-prepared meal I've ever had. I mean, and it was crazy. It was just amazing. So, um, yeah, so it's a its own kind of um, ecosystem. It seems. Yeah. 
Very cool. Just curious, did you get to work any with uh, Dennis Murin while you were working on the Star Wars stuff or any of that? Uh, let's see, Dennis, Dennis. I think I was not... Uh, the, the Star Wars stuff that I was working on had three different supervisors because there were so many um, shots to do. Um, and I was actually mostly with um, John Knoll. Uh, but uh, I definitely, uh, I think I worked with Dennis on Last Airbender uh, when I went back. Um, but he's super cool, very smart, and he's one of those guys that would spot something that you had been missing from, mm-hmm. you know, you've been looking at the same shot over and over and over all day for two weeks. And then he would look at it and say, hey, you know, what about this? And you're like, oh, my God, I totally did not see that thing. It was obviously something that I should have dressed you know, and fixed. So, uh, right. Dems is great. Yeah, he's a he's a cool guy. Very cool, very cool. We'll shift into another topic. Aside from working in the movie world, you mentioned working on, I believe it's electronic arts in the gaming industry. Can you tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. the games you've done and some of the work you've done on that? Um, I was here for five years, and uh, I just finished up X-Men 2, um, and I uh, decided to take a break from doing films and go to video games. So, um, the first, actually, yeah, the first game I worked on there was, uh, um, Rising, let's see, uh, uh, Medal of Honor Rising Sun, uh, and that was a mm-hmm. PS2 game at the time, and, uh, then from that I went to GoldenEye Rogue Agent, which is another PS2, um, uh, game, and, uh, that, that was a rough one, that was, uh, that was a hard year, <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, those were, the times where I was doing, I think I pulled a 38-hour day one time on uh, wow. that game, meaning that I did not go home for 38 hours. And uh, there's some unique things that start happening to you when you start working 38 hours straight. Like I'm like, I'm fine. This is great. I don't. I'm tired. Of, uh, and then I would like, I feel terrible. And then I'd take a nap and then feel good again. And it's just it was kind of interesting. So, uh, but it was a great experience because in video games there, you have to um, uh, not only uh, have the lighting, and that's what I did, I was a lighting director there. So I would take the environments that the environment artists would make and I would craft it with light to say this looks, it's supposed to feel cold. So I would use, you know, blue light and uh, hard shadows if it was supposed to be scary or if it's supposed mm-hmm. to be safe, I mean, soft lighting with warm colors. And uh, a lot of the challenge there is you're not just looking at a shot that the camera person shot on set and you're trying to, you know, pay attention to this one angle. You have to be aware of 360 degrees because a player can look in all directions, so you have to make it look good in all directions. And then um, figuring out how to lead characters by uh, subtle changes in light and flickering lights to get their attention. It's like, oh, I should probably go over here because this thing is different from you know, the, the environment in general, just uh, a, a challenge to try to, you know, craft an experience for the, the player. Um, so the biggest thing I did at EA that actually never made it to street was uh, something called Tiberium. And uh, it was a project I was on for three years, and it was supposed to be uh, a first-person um, version of Command and Conquer. Oh, wow. Which was a popular... Um, uh, what do they call it? It's not RPG. It's a... Uh, um, ah, I can't mm-hmm. remember. It's been so long. Well, but, that uh, third, it was third different perspective. Third person, yeah. So um, it was... Uh, 
it was it looked great, but it, it was struggling to get sort of a unique experience and a fun gameplay. So mm-hmm. um, after three years, they just canceled it, and uh, so that was unfortunate. But uh, it was fun. It was fun to 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 you know do that kind of stuff. And again, the challenge is to try to make things look good and still fit within a certain you know, restrictive memory constraint for video games to play its speed because you don't want to be jerky or, or you know, it has to be completely butter smooth when you're moving around right. and looking around. So, uh, you know, a unique challenge, but fun. Wow. Well, I know, I know uh, that they originally had a, another GoldenEye game from both the N64, which is very popular. How? Just curious, how does that James Bond game that you made uh, work on? Rather, uh, how does that differ from the original one? Is it, is it like similar stories, just better graphics, or? It was, uh, to be honest, I think it was they're going to use the name of a really popular video game to try to get people to buy a new one. Um, and I can say that because I don't work at EA anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, really good people there, but this one was, in my opinion, kind of just a marketing thing because it was not really. It was very loosely based on uh, the original GoldenEye, and the original GoldenEye was such a popular game, and everybody was playing it. And um, I think when the GoldenEye Rogue Agent came out, um, that it wasn't, you know, it was kind of a disappointment for a lot of people because they were expecting something very similar to what they had, you know, grown to love. Um, okay. So uh, it, 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 I think in name only was it related to the the previous game. So I just used the, the title for like marketing. That's that's very cool. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was just was uh, wondering. You, you work with DreamWorks Animation. I know you mm-hmm. worked on several films with them. Uh, I believe one was Turbo. I forget the others. But uh, you've also worked on an iconic sci-fi comedy called Galaxy Quest. Just curious, what things oh, did yeah. you do on that? <laughs> what things did you do on well, that film? I'm like, okay. So. Uh, second to Space Station, Galaxy Quest was one of my was probably one of my all time favorite projects to work on because uh, it was just fun. You could tell that it was a really cool movie, and when you know you're working on something cool, you're going to have fun doing it, you know. And uh, so uh, I again working in the Rebel Unit that we talked about earlier. Um, I worked on the minefield sequence where. Um, they are trying to uh, escape um, Saris, I think his name is the uh, the bad guy. And uh, right. they go into this minefield. They have these uh, sort of pyramid-shaped things that would expand and magnetically try to blow up the ship. Um, so I was involved in a lot of those uh, shots with, uh, with the minefield. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. The coolest, one of the coolest things that is in the movie is me, <laughs> because uh, for me personally, because uh, that's what mom would say. My son's in the movie. Um, so if you look, uh, when the um, the shuttle crashes into the convention center, there's some nerd running right at camera, knocking over uh, a shelf full of models. Uh, it's mm-hmm. me because they sometimes we do extra shoots at ILM against blue screen, and I readily oh, wow. volunteered for that. So. You know, uh, yeah. So if you're if you're looking at the letterbox version of that movie, you can see me running right at camera, full frame. Um, wow! And uh, that was that was great because I I actually watched that recently and it still holds up. It's one of those movies that I think will be timeless because oh, yeah. you know it's it's a smart um, 
it's got it's got heart. It's just uh, the visual effects are going to hold up, and um, I think it's great. It's one of my favorite projects. Man, that's a great film. Like you said, it does hold up, and the special effects are great. That's actually the minefield, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I believe that's when the beryllium sphere gets damaged too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. So you worked with Dream. Was that part of DreamWorks? That project? Is curious. No, that was. Uh, it may have been. Uh, well, DreamWorks has two divisions. Uh, at the time, it was one company where they would do live action movies and animated features, and more recently. Uh, DreamWorks Animation, it's his own company, and DreamWorks, the studio, does live-action movies, and they're separate. They're, they're, they're not the same company. But at the time, I was at ILM, and I think DreamWorks uh, contracted um, ILM to do the visual effects for the movie. So I was actually working at ILM and not at DreamWorks. Okay, well, that makes sense because they're, they're like heavy effects and models. Well, that was CGI, most likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, are you curious? You also compose music, and I was I was noticing out on your website. What kind of music do you compose, and like when exactly did you get started in that? Um, I uh, I got started uh, about twenty years ago, I guess. Uh, just um, playing around with synthesizers and stuff, and um, I just was always fascinated by it, and it was something that was completely mine. I wasn't doing it for anybody else as a part of my mm-hmm. job. It was my craft. And uh, I think it's really important to have, if you're uh, if you're in any kind of um, in any kind of artistic profession, to have your own craft um, um, that you do separate from work to to keep your creativity, you know, um, alive. Uh, so I've been doing music for 20 years, and uh, it's mostly um, sort of mid-tempo um, electronica, kind of like. Uh, uh, William Orbit um, is one of my uh, inspirations, um, uh, and then more recently into Progressive House, like uh, Above and Beyond uh, is one of my favorite groups. Uh, yeah. But I haven't actually done music in two years because I've been living out of my bedroom working on Space Station 76 uh, <laughs> nonstop, <laughs> 24 hours a day of singing for two years. Uh, but yeah, so I need to get back to doing that, I guess. Wow, those are some of my favorite bands as well. I listen to a lot of Bob and Beyond a lot, actually. Um, we have a little bit of time left. Yeah, they are. We have a little bit of time left. I got a few quick questions. Um, just curious. I know the Star Wars franchise is booting back up. They've got the 2015 release this coming year. Are you going to be involved, or have you tried to get involved, or have any like people call you about some of the other upcoming films? I know they're going to be running those for the next several years. Curious on that question. Well, it's the the whole Star Wars thing is um, it, it filled with hundreds of amazingly talented artists. And uh, although I would like to think that, hey, I'm special, <laughs> you know, everybody's special with this stuff. And um, right. uh, if I had an opportunity, I'd probably go back um, and, uh, and and work on it. And uh, that opportunity may come up. The, the visual effects work won't get started, at least for the first one, probably until late this year, early next year. So mm-hmm. you never know. You know, if the schedules work out and uh, something will be fun, I would like to, I wouldn't mind doing that because what I've heard and seen on online, just like probably you have seen, it uh, looks like it's going to be really awesome. So um, I, I would like to do that. Mm, that's really cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I know those films, I know the first one they're coming out with is going to be like 
kind of like passing Excalibur down. Like Luke Skywalker is kind of like an Obi-Wan in this one. And I think it's like 30 years later, if I believe. Well, right quick, yeah. I've got one more. Yeah, 30 years later, and I, oh, yeah, I was I was, uh, I was reading an article watching a video about Kevin Smith. He said he, like, broke down in tears. It was so, like, realistic. Like, he was on the Millennium Falcon. I thought that was really cool. Well, right quick, I yeah. have one more quick, quick, quick question pertaining to the uh, E.T. film. What, what did you do on that exactly? Was that the spaceship scene or? Um, that was, uh, it was the special edition, um, because I, I'm mm-hmm. not quite old enough to have done the original stuff. Uh, but, right. uh, uh, it was, um, uh, one of the things that was really, uh, memorable for me at least was, um, they replaced the, the cityscape when E.T. Um, is left behind and he walks up to the ridge and he, he's overlooking the city and you can see the city. Um, mm-hmm. Originally, that was just a, a kind of a primitive map painting, and so the, a, a very talented uh, map painter created a brand new one for the special edition. And I took that and animated like cars moving and the flickering of the lights and uh, like a plane in the distance to bring the map painting to life. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that was uh, was such a treat uh, to do. And then when Elliot uh, is building his communication thing with the umbrella and the coffee can. Um, right. There was originally yeah, there was nothing. It just turned around. It looked like it was just uh, gray mist. But we put in mm-hmm. trees and stars and 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 new, more detailed mist. And I I put those two together. You know that sh- the the new stuff into that shot. Um, I think that was all I did on that movie. But I, I, I'll tell you one thing: Steven Spielberg is one of those people that he, he, it, there's a reason that he is as successful as he is because. Whenever he talked about the movie when we were working on it, it was as if he had just made it yesterday and his passion oh, wow. for it was true and he was super warm and friendly and just an amazing uh, uh, an amazing artist. And he would say things about the shots that we were looking at and it would be like, oh my God, of course. It's exactly what that shot needed. You know, again, like Dennis Muren, uh, Stephen uh, is just super friendly and commits people's names to memory and just... It makes you want to be a better artist because he has the passion and it comes through in the product and you just want to join him in the fun because he's just an amazing guy. Wow, that's very cool, man. Very cool. So you have to make a little moving cars and all that's just really neat. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, just quick, right quick, do you have any, uh, are there any website links or information you'd like to give out for people to find out more about your work and upcoming projects and stuff? Uh, well, I'm actually, uh, you can go to billybrooks.com, um, and, uh, I'm in the process of revamping it to, uh, uh, to get more space station stuff on it, but since we just mm-hmm. finished it, it's, uh, it's a little outdated, and I haven't done anything, um, except space station for the past two and a half years, so, uh, but billybrooks.com, and, uh, spacestation76.com is, is the website, and we're going to be, you know, getting more information on there pretty soon, and, um, any sci-fi fan, I worked very hard with the director to put lots of really cool love letters to the favorite, you know, sci-fi movies in the 70s, so I think you should definitely check it out. Very cool, man. Very cool. Well, Billy, I had a blast talking with you, buddy, and I thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely, Owen. It's good talking to you, buddy. Good talking to you, too, and you take care, my friend. Okay, see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. This is Owen Cotter thanking you for listening to Sci-Fiction Radio. Don't forget to visit our website at www.scifiction.com.